The following audio is presented by Grace Church. For more about us, visit discovergrace.com, or you can download our free app by searching Grace Church Orlando on your phone or tablet. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, Grace. Today we'll continue our Follow the Leader series as we work our way through the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. Our text for today is 1 Samuel 5, 1 through 12. I invite you to turn there as we read from Scripture this morning. Church, hear the word of the Lord. <clears throat> when the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early in the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon (coughs) do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Amen. Good morning. How are we? Good. Let's try that again. I think we got to figure out something to do, something, you know, like all at the same time or something. Uh, so, so listen, if you're not doing well, then you just got to recognize Jesus is with you. You're going to do well in the future. And so you can say it with faith and trust that one day I'm going to do better than I'm doing right now. So you can be excited. If you're doing well, we want to hear you. All right, here we go. How are we doing this morning? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Good. Listen, we have the privilege of being able to hear God's word this morning, and I believe we should be able to bring all of our expectation and hope. I think this morning uh, God's going to speak to you guys, um, and the reason why I think that is because the particulars of the passage that we're dealing with today uh, are super important for where we are today in culture, where we are right now in life. Many of us have kind of lived lives kind of detached from uh, families, we've detached from uh, circumstances. We've, we, we, we have felt like at some time in our life, we have felt like outsiders. And so what we're going to be looking at today is a passage where God clearly is superintending the circumstances of all who believe in him. And you need to recognize and know from the very beginning this morning that God is with you. 
that God is with you and that he's never given up on you and he never will give up on you. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to go through hard times and it doesn't mean that you're not going to go through difficult circumstances. You will, but in the midst of those things, the promise isn't a good and easy life. The promise is always in the midst of life, God is with you. And he will take you eventually to a place where there is no sorrow, is no pain, and there is only hope. All right, uh, let's dive in. Uh, We have a lot. So um, we only had 12 scriptures here today. So we're going to be looking at a few uh, things from the the, uh, New Testament as well. We are probably going to read way too many scriptures today. So if, if somebody says, what's grace all about? You can say reading too much Bible. Okay, so here we go. First Samuel, let's go back to verse five or chapter five. Verse 1, we'll dive in with some depth. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. All right. So if you remember, last week, one of the things that we learned was that the Israelites were um, posturing themselves and having a relationship with God that was one of superstition and, and distance. Uh, They were actively wicked in the midst of the tent of meeting, which is the place that houses the Ark of the Covenant, which is the Ark of the Covenant is where God's presence is poured into. And so what you have is you have Israel who's really not being considered about God. They don't care about him a whole lot. What they care about is the benefit that he brings. So one day they go out and they have a battle and they lose 4,000 men on the battlefield. And so they say to themselves, like all of us would, what do we need to do not to have this happen again? So what they do is they take the Ark of the Covenant and they bring it to the battlefield because, you know, if God is with you, God is with you. There is no army who can stand against you. And so they made a critical error, and we talked about this last week, that this is an error that we make in our own spiritual lives frequently, and that is this, that we tote God around like a lucky charm. That we tote him around like he's some kind of talisman or magic that we can pull out when we need him and that he's going to solve all of life's problems for us. But the reality is, just like we saw all the way back in, in, in Hannah's prayer, was the idea that God's interested in more than just making your life simple. He's interested in a relationship with you. And if you've ever been in relationships before, relationships are not simple. They are complicated and complex and they require a whole lot from us. And so what we have right now is we have a God here who's been brought out onto the battlefield and everyone's saying he's going he's to be our victory, but really they were trusting in the ark, but not the God inside the ark. And so God allows them to battle and then, and then ultimately lose, and they lost 30,000 people that day. So 34,000 Israelites are dead with this terrible lesson that you cannot treat God as if he's in a box detached from a relationship. And now we begin where we are right now. So what's, what's happened is that the Philistines, just like any conquering nation would do back then, is they would take all the spoil of the conquered nation, and this spoil just happened to be the Ark of the Covenant. It is a beautiful gold box. And it is a be- it's a beautiful gold box that, that they actually believe, much to the Israelite shame, but the Philistines actually believe contains a God. Not the God or the one true God, but a God. They were polytheistic by nature, meaning they believed in more than one God. And so with great respect, they take the Ark of the Covenant into the land, the Philistine lands. There, there were five of them. There were five city-states right here, right? And they bring them to one of the city-states, which happens to be the temple of Dagon, which is called Ashdod, right? Ashdod's the city. It's the city-state, one of the five. And the temple of Dagon is there. 
Now, one thing, if, we're just pull, if we can just pull out of the story for a second and look at the large scope of what's taking place right now in the text. All through the book of Judges, through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, you're seeing a war being played out between the Philistines and between the Israelites. But really, it's not about Philistines versus Israelites. It's about our God can beat up your God, right? And so that's kind of, that's kind of the idea behind it, right? We have three primary encounters, and this is one of them. The first one was that back in the book of Judges. There's a guy named Samson, and Samson is a prophet. And Samson is super powerful, but only when the Spirit is on him and only when he has a relationship with God. Well, one day, Samson, just by a set of circumstances that you can read about in the book of Judges, he finds himself captive to the Philistines and chained to two great pillars in a temple uh, in the temple of, of Dagon, another one of the temples of Dagon in the five cities. And so there he is, he's, he's chained to these pillars, he's praying, God, I know that I have abandoned you and I have sought other things apart from you, but if you would just give me one last bit of strength, one last bit of your presence, a sign of your presence that you are still with me, and he said, and, and God grants it to him, he, he pulls as hard as he can on these two big giant pillars, there are 3,000 people above him uh, on a Roman, like a Romanesque kind of colonnade. And what happens is he pulls these colonnades down, the pillars that are holding them up fall, and these 3,000 leaders of the Philistines die in one blow. And Yahweh is proved to be more powerful than Dagon. And this is the second encounter. This is the second encounter where now, now God, in the Ark of the Covenant, is now placed next to Dagon on a shelf, right? Because that's what you do with idols. You put them on a shelf in a prominent place, right? And then later, what we would discover is that... Um, David and Goliath, the story of David and Goliath, is a story of the final battle between the Philistines and the Israelites. And just as Dagon here, by the power of our God, who is in this box, is put on the shelf right next to Dagon, God knocks him off the shelf. He knocks him off because there can be no one besides our God. There can be no one beside him. There can be no one beside God in your life. His head actually falls off the second time that, that they come and they, they pick him up. I want you to see what Dagon looks like. So this is a rendering of what Dagon looked like. Uh, if you think evolution's new, it's not. Uh, Philistines kind of came up with it a long, long time ago. Uh, they believed that most people were evolving from fish. And so Dagon is half fish and a half man god. And uh, he was also uh, the god of fertility, and so that's a very important part of, of life. And so Dagon was front and center. So what happens is they, these guys, these priests, they see Dagon, they come in the next day, and Dagon is just, he's bowing down. Like he's literally like face down, pointing at Yahweh in the box, right? And, and they don't think to themselves, you know, and to be fair to these guys, probably you and I would think, oh man, those people who put him up there, what a bunch of dumb dummies. They just, they just dropped him up, they put him up there, and he fell down overnight. That's, that's, that's a reasonable thought, right? And then they put him back up on the, on the, on the deal, right? Because he's got to be right up there where Yahweh is. And then the next day they come back and Dagon's head has been cut off, his arms have been cut off. The only thing left of Dagon is just the bottom part that looks like a fish. Now, the first time you might think he fell off, the second time with the arms and the head busted off, I mean, come on, that's, there, there's something, I mean, but they don't give up. In fact, the Bible says that the priests were so superstitious that when Dagon's head fell at the, at the border of the temple, they, they wouldn't even walk on the border of the temple because his head had been there at one point in time. How much does it take for your idol to be knocked down before you believe that the idol is no longer powerful? 
How many times does your idol have to be knocked down? And the idol doesn't have to be something like this. We talked about it last week. Idols are usually good things that have been exalted to great things in our life in place of God. So anything that stands between you and God is considered an idol. So it could be your money. You can think to yourself, man, I'll get this religion thing, but what I really want to do is I want to hit my number first. I'll just do that. I'm going to pour all my energy. So what happens, watch this, the, 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 the consequences or maybe the characteristics of serving an idol are simply this, that, that you give adoration, like I love it, right? And you hear people all the time loving their money, right? I love it. I give my energy to it. I do whatever. I mean, like I'm giving my heart to it, my time, my affection. Somebody once said that the true cost of a thing is the amount of life that you have to exchange for it. The true cost of a thing is the amount of life that you have to exchange for it. And we're willing with all of our heart to exchange big portions of our life so that we can have big, giant, wonderful, beautiful things in our life. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with uh, having big, beautiful, wonderful things in your life. Actually, I pray if you attend this church, this is a bonus for you, but if you attend this church, I pray all the time that God prospers you and makes you wealthy and God gives you great things. There's no promise of that, though. Otherwise, I'd be driving a BMW, right? No, there's not. I drive a Hyundai, and that's, you know, that's, that's my life. That's good. But God is with me, and he's with you. He doesn't promise that you're going to be rich. I pray that you have more than you need all the time. But we cannot take this really good blessing of God and then put it way up high so that it becomes something that is between you and God. It can be your children. It can be your marriage. It can be your lack of stuff, too. It can be like if you're single in the room right now and your whole deal is like, I just want to be married. I just so want to be married with all my heart. And you, you think to yourself, you think to yourself, man, when I get married, it's going to be so great. And, and, and that's all the energy that you have between you and, and, and your God. All your affection goes into solving this one big problem, not realizing that 15 minutes after you get married, you're going to realize, oh, crap. The, I, I, I got married, you know, and, and watch, and, 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 and watch this, watch this. That's okay, because if you've been married for a while, I've been married for 25 years this December. Thank you, that was so, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that so much. 25 years, man, that's a lot, that's a lot of ups and downs in marriage, right? Kelly's had to put up with me for 25 years. She should be sainted, without a shadow of a doubt. Don't shake your head yes. Man, okay, all right, okay. So, so, here, but, so we think to ourselves, man, it's either our lack or it's our abundance, but both lack and abundance can be turned into idols, something that stands between us and God, because they're good things that become ultimate things in our life. And so what's happened right now is they've brought God and they've placed him next to Dagon uh, in the temple in Ashdod. And being next to Dagon is considered to be a very, very privileged thing for a Philistine. So the first thing that you need to know is that they weren't looking. Watch this. This is so important because it is so today. Sometimes people go, I mean, you look at the Bible. and What is this Dagon and Ashdod and all this stuff, the Ebenezer? What is all that about? It's about this. They believed that when you put Yahweh next to Dagon, that Dagon actually assumes the very power of Yahweh, or yeah, of the very power of Yahweh. So as one kingdom after another is conquered, they don't abandon Dagon and the worship of Dagon. They add to the worship of Dagon by adding every other deity of the tribes that have been destroyed. And they put them in the altar. There is Dagon. There is the preeminence of all the other gods. And they add this God and that God and this God and that God to their whole world. In theology, we call this syncretism. 
And the idea of syncretism is the concept of mixing religions together. And the reason why we do this is because we're Americans. Like we just, we're Americans. This is the reason why we, why we do this. So how many of you grew up when records were the predominant way in which you uh, could get music? All right, raise your hands. Okay. Now, how many of you grew up just downloading it online? Raise it, raise your hands. Okay, I don't know why I'm raising my hand. That's not true. Uh, so, so but, but, here, but here's the thing. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, uh, you had to, you couldn't do, you couldn't go to iTunes and find your favorite song and then get that song, right? You had to buy the whole stinking album. You might like one song on that thing, but you had to buy the entire album and it was terrible. Like it was awful. Like there's a renaissance right now. I don't know if you guys know this, but like, like really, really young, like 18, 19, 20, they are, they are like getting records again and they're releasing albums again. And my son, who's 15, has a record player again. I thought those things were gone. But, but, but it's a cool thing again now, right? Uh, even groups are putting out albums again. But, but, you know, we went from that whole thing of like, you know, records and all that kind of stuff to we went to cassette. T- well, we, first of all, we went to eight tracks, you know, which, you know, you put one of those in your car, you know, and, uh, and uh, it was just huge and it was terrible. And you, like, you didn't carry that around, you know, you had to carry two, but you didn't carry that thing around. They were huge. And then, and then we went to cassette tapes. Guys, I'm telling you right now, I thought cassette tapes were the height of everything. Like when, 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 oh my gosh, when, when tapes came out and they had auto rewind and auto forward, I thought, this is the end of the world. We've done everything you can possibly do. Technology will never advance. See, because you don't understand, like if you don't remember tapes, if you wanted to listen to your song, you had to go, you know, and then, and then, and then you're like, is that it? No. You know, and then you just went back and back and back. It's what you did. If you wanted to go forward, you know, and then you'd go forward. And that's what you did. It took 38 minutes to hear your song, right? It doesn't matter. Like it was so slow. And now you guys, we live in like in an iTunes world. You get to just log on and and there it is, right? In a matter of seconds. I think it's incredible. It's amazing. But it kind of has bled into the way that we think about life. And it's bled into the way that we think about kind of our relationship with God even. Because when we were young, we had to go out to Peach's Records. And we had to go, remember anybody? Peach's Records? Yes. Peach's Records. We had to go down to Peach's Records and get a big record, right? But we had to buy everything. Instead of just going with one thing, we had to have it all. We were forced to. And now we have the mindset of, you know, I like that artist, but I really only like these three songs. I'm going to go get those three songs. And so what's happened is just like in the Temple of Dagon and with all of these gods, one after another, they just pick and choose. Yeah, let's, we love Yahweh. He's great. Look at, what he did to the, look at what he did to the Egyptians. He's powerful. He's glorious. We're going to put him right up here in a place of honor right next to Dagon. And they added them. They added Yahweh to their world. The problem with that comes in that if you really understand relationships, like if you really get relationships, especially romantic type relationships, exclusivity is the blessing of that kind of relationship. Exclusivity says, I am for you and you are for me. I am for you, and you are for me. And when it goes from you and me to more than you and me, what ends up happening is we lose confidence, we fear, 
and we get angry because exclusivity is the beauty of love. In the same way, God recognizes, and I want you to think about this, God recognizes that there is nothing in the whole universe that's better for you than him. Nothing. And because that's true, to share you with something else or someone else is to ruin the beauty of the love. And so God says, no, I will not sit on the shelf next to Dagon. I won't. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring so much disruption to the lives of these people that they're going to want to get rid of me. And that's exactly where we find ourselves at the end of verse 12. It says that the Bible says that Yahweh struck the people with tumors. But you know what these tumors are? Uh, We'll find this out later in the Bible uh, because they make golden versions of these. But these, these are not tumors. These are hemorrhoids. So God will be a pain to you as long as you are not exclusive with him because he loves you because there is nothing better for you than him and if you're here today and you've experienced the breakdown of relationship like that or you've been on the outside of something I'm here to tell you right now that God has never left you he has never forgotten you And so when we look at the Israelites in the text right now, one of the things that's so staggering and so kind of almost emotional to me is that uh, the Israelites just just let God, the Ark of the Covenant, go. They didn't come after him. But what he does is in the midst of the people, he sends out all of these hemorrhoids all over the place, and people are severely uncomfortable, and they actually give the Ark of the Covenant back to the Israelites. But the Israelites never went after it. They suffered defeat. They struggled deeply, and then they gave up. Is that where you are? Have you struggled and felt defeat and just given up? Because the good news of the text today is that God is the kind of leader who never stops coming after you. That even when you stop following him and stop loving him and take a step away from him, he's the kind of leader that always comes after you. Because he knows the absolute best is him for your life. And that exclusivity with him is the beauty of love. So I want you to see how he compares and contrasts this. The the prophet Isaiah, much later than the text where we are right now, the prophet Isaiah, he carries these. These will be up on the screen, Isaiah 46, verses 1 through 4. He says this. This kind of seems weird. It seems almost poetic. Bell uh, bows down, Nebo stoops, who are Bel and Nebo. Bel and Nebo are gods who are, they're false gods like Dagon. And what's happened is when it says that they stoop down, they, it's the imagery of the text that we're reading right now, that Dagon is down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. He's still whole, but he's, but, he's, but he's fallen from the high position that he was in to the low position underneath Yahweh. And so, as Isaiah looks at what's, what's happened in war is the Israelites have come and taken their gods and this is what happens. Bel bows down. Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. They would carry these idols from uh, these false gods because what they did with them was destroy them. 
they would carry these, these false gods on the backs of their animals. And the backs of their animals would be laid down because these, 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 um, these idols are so heavy. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together, they cannot save the burden but themselves go into captivity. The burden of all of these people fighting against the Israelites and hoping that their God will be victorious, this is their burden because this would be our burden too. If we were against the Israelites, we would think, is there a way that God could help us? Well, we don't want to go into captivity, but they cannot save. An idol cannot save. You can get the right amount of money that you have in your head. There's nothing wrong with planning. But remember, it's taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. You could get the right amount of money in your head. You can have everything in the world, fame, money, power, everything. And you can end up just like Kate Spade. You can end up dead at your own hand. Why? Because they cannot save. They cannot deliver on the promises made in our hearts. They don't deliver. Keep going. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, that's the Israelites, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth. Now, this is God speaking. Listen to me. You have been born, like carried, that means. You been born, you carried by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear I will carry and I will save. The difference between our God and every other God is that our God is alive. Every other God is not alive and therefore cannot hear your prayers, cannot save you when you call out to them, cannot restore the brokenness and the lostness of your life, but only our God can save. And he says, from before you were born, to the time that you are old and gray, I'll carry you. You don't need to carry around your idols in the heart. You don't need to carry around the burden of not being enough because you don't have enough. You don't need to carry the burden of feeling like you're nothing if you're not in a relationship. You don't need to carry the burden of feeling like a failure if your job isn't all that it's supposed to be. Those are burdens that flow from idols in our hearts. And they don't belong with us. Because I will carry you, God says. And I have made, and I will bear, and I will carry, and I will save. He clarifies this even more. Psalm 115 asks a fundamental question. Why should the nation say, where is their God? People ask this question all the time. Where's God? Like, I mean, why, why, why can't we see him doing stuff? You can. He's constantly active, moving, working, shaping this world in which we live in. And yes, it's broken and messed up and flawed and failed. But the leadership of God never lets it go to the place where it will not be restored one day. The leadership of God will never leave you alone in the midst of a broken world. Never, not once. Where is their God? Where's their God? The God of those, uh, of the Israelites. Where is he? Well, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold. So our God, he does what he wants to do. 
No one can hinder him. He, if he chooses to go this direction, he goes this direction. If he chooses to go that direction, he goes that direction. No one stops him. He does all that he pleases. Their idols, the other idols, they're silver and gold. The work of human hands, they have mouths but do not speak. Eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Noses but do not smell. They have hands but they do not feel. Feet but they do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. In other words, when you call out to an idol, it doesn't answer you. It can't. And this is so amazing. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. I want you to think about that. Those who make idols, and that's us, guys. All of us have little idols. Those who make idols become like their idols. If my idol is materialism, I become a materialistic person. If my idol is fitness, I become a over-the-top fitness person. They're known as CrossFitters. Uh, uh, no, that's a joke. I'm kidding. Don't write me letters. Whatever I want, I become. And so does everyone who trusts in them. And what it means by that is it says that they don't have eyes, they can't see. So if I trust in, a, in an idol, I can't see anymore. I won't be able to hear anymore. I can't touch anymore. I can't walk. I can't move. Spiritually speaking, all of these things, I'm a mute. Because what I trust in is what I become. Romans 8.28 kind of bumper sticker Christianity here in a moment. But I love uh, what it's talking about here because it goes into verse 29. 28 alone is nothing. Verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. One of the most popular Bible verses in the entire, in entire scripture. We see it on cars and bumper stickers and things like that. Um, but there's so much more to it than, hey, God's going to work everything out. That's called fatalism. And that's not what we Christians believe. We actually believe that God is actively involved in shaping the circumstances of life and leading me into the positions that I find myself in. Both good and bad, God leads. Watch this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, for those God foreknew that, that he saw ahead of time. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So, so I'm not interested in your Calvinism or Arminianism right now, okay? That's not what this is all about. But what I want you to see right now is you cannot deny, whether you come from what philosophical system as a Christian, what you can't deny is that before you were, God foreknew you. He knew who you'd be. And all along the way there, God works to shape who you are. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God wants you holy. He wants you blameless. He chose you a long time before you chose him. Let's just put it that way. A long time before, he, uh, before you knew him, he chose you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us while we hated God, while we were sexually immoral, while we were doing all these things that are not what God wants us to do. God comes to us and he says, I choose you and I love you and we're going to be exclusive, just you and me. 
I want an exclusive contract on your morality. I want an exclusive contract on your relationships. I want an exclusive contract on your worship. And that's what he does. He does because exclusivity is the beauty of love. It's what makes love work. And when that's broken, everything falls apart. Here we go. Let's go to the next one. In love, he, God, predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God does according to his pleasure and according to his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one that he loves. That's Jesus. It goes on. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he's lavished upon us. He's not stingy. He wants us to know him. He wants us to be forgiven. He wants us to be whole. He wants to lavish us with his grace. Go ahead. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. I want you to see this. This is not anything that an idol can do. There's nothing here that they can do. Look at the words. Wisdom. Is a rock wise? No, it's not. Is a piece of gold wise? No, it's not. Does a piece of gold or a rock have understanding? Does wood have understanding? No, they don't. Are they, do they have pleasure? Do they have purpose? Do they mark time according to their will? They don't. Will an idol be able to bring unity to your heart? No, it won't. Will an idol ever bring unity to the world? It will not. And so we go back to 1 Samuel. And I want to just kind of, from the passage that we looked at last week, if you'll just join me there again, I want you to see in verse 21. We went over this last week. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Because the ark of God has been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband, they had died. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. The Philistines believed that they had won a great battle in capturing the ark. They believed that they had won over God. But now, as we see in our text, as it turns the corner here, we see that God wins over us. And the way that he does this is by making the, the, the Philistines so uncomfortable that they just have to expel him from their camp. They have to expel him from their city-states. And the reason for that, why God does that, is that God allows our discomfort for the purpose of bringing us back into fellowship and relationship with him. Listen, if you've been apart from the church for a long time, because I know people are coming back left and right. I'm hearing the stories in our church. People who have been out of church for a long time are just coming back. And part of the reason why we come back sometimes is because we've been uncomfortable We've recognized that we become things that we didn't want to become. We've done things that we didn't want to do. And the result has been that it's caused us to suffer. And it's very easy to think to yourself, you know what, I can, I can just do this on my own, right? So real quick, how many of you guys are direction people, guys and gals? How many of you guys and gals are directions people? Like, when you get a box of something, and you think to yourself, like, I can put this together myself. Or how many of you pull out the directions and just start looking at them right away? Just how, directions people. Wow, 
That's shocking. Okay, your directions, people. All right. How many of you, now I fall into the second camp. I'm like, that's not a big deal. I'll put it together myself because I always enjoy putting together things three or four times. <laughs> so, 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 so you get the thing. You don't want to look at the direction. How many of you are like that? Raise your hands. All right. Okay, good, 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 good. The world is kind of pretty evenly split, right? All right. So you know, now here's, the, here's the thing. We can spend our whole life trying to just put ourselves together, right? But what we're going to do is we're going to do it three and four times. And, and watch this. This is so important. And you have the opportunity to skip all of that. You have some instructions. You have somebody who guides you from the time that you are born to the time that you are old and gray, who watches over, superintends, oversees, changes, adopts, transforms completely with you at every moment of your life. And that God just says, hey, I just have one direction for you. Receive and believe. And so if you've been with Jesus for a long, long time, you need to receive more of him and believe in him more than we do now. And if you've never received it, it's your chance to do that. It's not a magic spell. It's not a prayer that you pray. It's a commitment in your heart to say, I want what that guy's talking about. And you make that commitment in your heart right now. Then you wake up tomorrow and you make the commitment. And you wake up tomorrow and you make the commitment. And you wake up the next day and you make the commitment. Because exclusivity, choosing him and him alone, is the beauty of love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we as a people, as a body, we deserve to confess to you that we put a lot of stuff next to you. I confess that, God. I am not perfect by any measure. But Lord, I recognize, God, that we have this huge need. And that need, God, is for you to be for us what we cannot be for ourselves. And so, Father, sometimes our aspirations and our desires and our hopes and our dreams and even our failures, they pull us in the direction of things that promise good things. But they're blind. They cannot see. They cannot hear. They cannot move. Nothing comes from their throats, Lord. When we cry out, they do not rescue us. So we ask, God, that you would make yourself real in our life in powerful ways. Show us your glory because it has not departed from your people. Show us your goodness through the people that we encounter, through the circumstances around us. Lord, I pray for blessing upon these people, God, but I ask also that we would not treat you like a lucky charm, but instead, God, would treat you as the Lord who belongs in the highest of places. It's in your name we pray. Amen.